The fear of the Lord exemplified, I mentioned tonight. We are in the study of the book of Proverbs. It's really been broken up, at least from my perspective, which is kind of unfortunate, but the God, God sovereignly rules over that uh, when you're studying a book like this. And we're doing it topically. And we came to the first study, which is the fear of the Lord, and I spend the longest amount of time on that. Because with the fear of the Lord, we know that's where everything starts, and that's where Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 started for us, that everything begins with an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And we talk about the fear of the Lord frequently, and uh, since it's where everything begins, and we need to understand that it involves two aspects to it, as we have studied together. One is a reverence, which could be the translation of the word here. Uh, reverence for God, and the other one that, that is standing in awe. And the second aspect is the fear of disobedience, where we understand he is judge and we fear to disobey him. By now, we've taken the study, even though it's been broken up, to go beyond defining it and seeing its importance to looking at a little bit what it looks like just from the book of Proverbs. And this isn't all that we covered, but just to remind us of some things. It's, as we have here, to place confidence in God. We say it's to place confidence in God. Great. It's one who loves the truth. If you say you fear the Lord, because we can easily say that, are these things true? Do I love the truth? Do I love to gain knowledge about God? Do I receive God's word? There's some of the other things. And then on the negative side, it departs from evil, we said. The fear of the Lord departs from evil. Not only that, it takes it a step further. The scriptures clearly say that it hates evil and then that it walks humbly. was the, one of the last ones that we looked at. Well, that's fine. We have now defined it. We have looked at what Proverbs talks about so that we can try to identify it. But in this particular area of study, I wanted to take it this last step, and that is to look at some examples because that is helpful to me personally and it was as I studied it. Uh, even though we can say it has confidence in God, and I started with that tonight in chapter 14, in verse 26, the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. Great, do I have strong confidence? And, and rather than, and we talked about, rather than have it in men, we have it in God. But what does it look like? Are there examples that we can look at? And yes, there are, and the ones that I will talk about with you are not the only examples in scripture, but I tried to pick ones that in some ways have some differences and also I thought would be a way of helping us when we look at the life and see, oh, now I see that that's what you mean, confidence in God. And the first one is exactly that. The fear of the Lord is showing confidence, total confidence, regardless of the circumstances in God and it's evidenced in the life. And it may even come to your mind who I'm gonna use. And I'm using passages where the scriptures themselves identify the fact that these people were walking in the fear of the Lord. Let's go to the book of Genesis to start tonight. Genesis chapter 22. These are examples. Proverbs has defined it. The scriptures are filled with examples of people that feared God. And the first one I give you is Abraham. Abraham, the example of Abraham. And we find in Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to read some verses to us, the first 12 verses. And I know that we are well, with the crowd that comes out on Sunday night, familiar with Abraham, and you could tell me the story, but might we never 
grow lax in our loving to look into the word of God even in familiar passages. So Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. At this stage, I'm sure you're well aware, God has left his family, uh, asked, excuse me, Abraham to leave his family. He's left his family and he's gone and then he and Lot had their situation and he's been waiting on God's promises. And his son that God had promised, his only son through his wife and the would-be the seed that God had promised had now been born. And we read in verse 1 that God is going to test Abraham. <clears throat> and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and it's very clear, and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains on which, of which I will tell you. Now, I don't know anybody that reads the word of God that doesn't get amazed by this situation. But it's practical. Here's a situation he's been waiting all this time for his son. And God is very descriptive. He says, take him. It's the son that you love. It's your only son. And by the way, some, he had other sons physically. But Isaac is the son of promise. He had to wait. Ishmael, he tried with the concubines, you know. That's not this son. But this one is the only son, the only promised son, the only one of his wife, Sari, Sarai, who is now Sarah, and now he's waited all this time. Just imagine, you've been praying to God. Years have gone by. You're now old. Circumstances were such that you didn't even think you could have any children anymore. And your wife can't have any children anymore. And a son's born. Just as God said. I don't know about you, but if I stopped right there, I probably would be on what we call cloud nine. Absolutely rejoicing. Praise God, telling everybody, look at what the Lord has done. Look at how God has promised and he's finished his promise to me. And now God comes along and says, sacrifice him. Excuse me? Sacrifice him to me. He's your only son. I personally would probably, and maybe I'm different from you, but as I thought about it, I probably would walk away and say, boy, I wish I hadn't told all those people God answered prayer. I missed something. I thought God answered my prayer. It seemed, let me go back over this. God did this, God did this, he promised this, it happened. How can God possibly ask me to do this? How could he? What was it that moved in the heart of Abraham. It was this. The fear of God. God told him, number one, he knew the person of God. He had awe for him. And now, the second aspect, God is commanding him to do something. Totally contrary, in my personal opinion, to human reasoning. Didn't matter coming from God. 
He feared God more than his even his intellect, more than his emotions. He loved him. More than his family. That's a challenge right there. I've met a lot of Christian families that their family, they say they love God, but boy, if anything interrupts that family, watch what happens. Things change very quickly. He says, go off him. So what happened? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place of which he had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there. And I know we get faith right here. And we, he includes his son, will worship and return to you. Did you think God was going to change his mind? No. He said, well, he said he's coming back. Mm -hmm. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. Remember this morning? The Lord carried his own cross. Interesting. Isaac, carry the wood that I'm going to burn you on. Hmm. Later on Isaac, his son, took him in his hand, uh, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. I can imagine. Great conversations. Father, son. Great opportunity. One on one. How about this for a father, son retreat? Take your father, son, and uh, take your son with you on the retreat and sacrifice him. By the way, don't do that, Dan Anderson, up at the camp. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, but what I'm saying, try to make it practical again. Look at what he's facing. And what happened? Isaac spoke to Abraham, uh, uh, his father, and said, hey, father, my father. He said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, I, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb, and you see his faith again. For the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So maybe he's going to come back and tells his servants, well, I have faith in God, maybe he won't sacrifice. Then, oh, maybe it's just because he knows God will provide the lamb and he won't, and that's as far as he'll go. I know God's going to change his mind. You think that's it? So the two of them walk on together. Verse 9, then they came to the place to which God had told them, told him and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and now he binds his son Isaac lays him on the altar on top of the wood I cannot begin to imagine I've read all kinds of things on this and I'm sure you have but I can't begin to imagine where this conversation went with him and his son but he lays him on the altar Abraham stretches out his hand took the knife to slay his son Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Now watch verse 12. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. Why? For I know now, or I now, I know that you what? Fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What was it that moved Abraham? The fear of the Lord. And it wasn't until he took the action. It wasn't just verbal. 
It wasn't just theology in his mind and brain. It was a situation where he was called upon it in a very practical way in his life. And if we had only this for the story, we would probably go away, at least I would, and say, well, it's obvious by the text itself, he had faith that he would come back, so maybe God would change his mind. He had faith that the lamb would be provided, so he already knew God was going to provide another lamb, and so really he knew that God would not put him all the way to the test of sacrificing his son. He knew he would stop him, right? No. You say, how do you know? Turn with me to Hebrews 11. Keep your finger in Genesis. Hebrews 11. So what does it mean, strong confidence? Hebrews chapter 11. The only reason we have the insight is because God's word reveals it to us. By faith. Well, there it is, Pastor Dan, by faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. So we clearly understand it. Now watch verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. Did he believe that his son was going to die? Yes. from which he also received back as a type. But I want you to see that the faith of Abraham extended right over to the fear of God, and we do know that he thought he was coming back. He did have confidence that God would provide the sacrifice, but he also had confidence right to the end, which is why he raised these, the knife up, that I am going to kill my son. Why? Because as much as it does not make sense, now, I know theologians, personally, as you read some of it, they have a problem with that. I don't. Why? Because it says very clearly in Hebrews, he had such confidence in God that while this makes no sense at all, God has commanded it, I cannot disobey, I have reverence for him, and I will plunge this into my son because God can raise him from the dead. And the promise is still going to happen. That's confidence. That's faith. That's what it looks like. It has strong confidence even when it doesn't make sense. And what do you mean confidence? It's in the person of God. It's in his word. Let me try to bring that back practically. You see an example, you say, that's a great outstanding example, but I could never get there. Come back to that again. Do you have confidence in the word of God? You say, of course I do. Even when you see what God's word says and it doesn't seem to be working out right now in your marriage with your children, when it doesn't seem to be working out right now at work, when the world says some things don't make sense, such as even a resurrection, and God's word says that all will come forth from the grave, and everybody says that doesn't make any sense, has it got that type of confidence that says that's what God says? End of discussion. That's the fear of the Lord. It's to go on even when 
It doesn't make sense because God said it, and I know the person of God. Do you understand why it says in John, and we've studied that, that what is eternal life? It's knowing God. Understand that when I said the fear of God, remember I came back, and there were some questions that were raised on that. came back to the fear of God is knowing God. It's growing in the knowledge of God. Abraham walked in this world in a real situation so that even he gave in to some suggestions this way or that way. But as he continued to go on, he grew in the Lord and got to know his Savior even better so that even after Ishmael was not the seed, he had confidence in God, and now he had reached a level that when God said, sacrifice him, he knew God would provide even if God had to raise him from the dead. How far will we go? Let me give you another one. We can go on with expanding every one of these. Go with me to Genesis chapter 39. Second one, Joseph. We love the story of Joseph. We go there, we see and how he was punished by his brothers. He didn't deserve it. There was jealousy in the family and all kinds of things happened. And you, you follow the life of Joseph and none of it seemed right. Now we know the end of the story. But we talked about in the book of Proverbs how the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to flee from evil. What does it look like? Well, how about Joseph? 39.9. He at this stage is successful. He's been brought out into a situation. And uh, what happens is he's now in Potiphar's home. He's got a pretty good job. He's got job security. He's got everything but one thing, and that's Potiphar's wife. Not that he even wants her, but that's just it. Potiphar doesn't even know what his assets are. He's got such confidence in Joseph. Joseph, manage my account. It reminds me one time, and I know I've shared this a couple of times in the congregation, but it, one time when I was in accounting going into the ministry, that was one thing that was placed on my plate. Some of you know that. I shared that with you. Because I was going through some interviews, and I was praying about what God would have me to do. And the last job I got offered, it, the position I was offered, that is exactly what the owners of the company did. They called me in. I was working for a CPA firm. They had done their research. I had done my research on them now at this last meeting. And they said, look, I'll tell you exactly what they said. We want to go play golf. We want to go be on our own. All we want is that you mail us a check. And they said, these are the amounts I want. You manage the company. You can take whatever salary you want. You can do what you want, just so long as the company makes profits, all of this stuff, and so forth. You say, why did you walk away? Because it wasn't of the Lord. And I could go into some other detail with you, but I, I don't want to get lost on that. Uh, but what a position he was in. He had anything he wanted. Verse 9. There is no one greater in the house than I. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and what? Sin against God. He was being seduced. And before we just look at the situation and say, this was easy. Really? I've got to believe that she was attractive. Now, we don't know that. 
But having a position there, she was probably, not only that, let's look at something else. He was alone. Who would have known? She's seducing him. If she keeps her mouth shut, nobody's going to know. Potiphar will never find out. No one will know. Really? How about those dark rooms and everything else that goes on with some people? God's going to know. It was the fear of God. How do you know that? Go with me to chapter 42. Look at verse 18. So he flees sin, right? Yes. Why? Fear of God. Practical situation. Now Joseph said to them, on the third day, do this and live for, what's the next three words? I fear God. That's what it was. Joseph was driven by the fear of God. That's how he could continue to go on. It's practical. How does he get through those situations? And we get admired. Uh, we admire him, excuse me, as we look at the suffering that he had from his own brothers and all the things that he faced and so on. But what was it that kept him going? It was God. Yes, he got discouraged at times, but he feared God. And that is what drove him away from Potiphar's wife so that he left his garment in her hand. He ran. He didn't play with it. He didn't see how far he could go. He understood God, and that's what he said to her. I cannot do this because I will sin against God. Didn't even come back to the husband. He said, Potiphar has given me this position, but it is God that I will offend and sin against. And because of that, I can't do this. And he ran. He saw sin, and he literally hated it, and he literally ran from it. Why? Fear of God. Let me give you a couple others. Obadiah. Go with me to 1 Kings. Obadiah. 1 Kings chapter 18. Time is going on me quick, and I do want to kind of wrap up these examples because I've got some others I want to give you quickly. So I, I had intended on reading the first 18 verses. But in this particular situation, let me tell you what happened. Obadiah basically risks his life. Why? Because he feared God, and he could not. Jezebel wants to destroy the prophets. Verses 1 through 12 is the text. It's, it's 1 uh, through verse 12. And if you look down in there, you'll see that Jezebel wanted to destroy the prophets, and there was a command given. But Obadiah, just look at verse 4, took a hundred prophets, and he hid them by fifties in a cave. He was, Obadiah was the servant of a wicked king. Obadiah knew God. How do you know that? Jump down to verse 12 for time's sake. It will come about when I leave you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. For when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. This is what Obadiah said. Although I, your servant, have what? Feared the Lord from my youth. God records it in his word. Here is the fear of the Lord. He thought he was going to die, and he was afraid but nevertheless, he protected the prophets of God. Why did he do that? 
because of the fear of the Lord. He was under a practical situation where they were all to be put to death, and Jezebel was saying it. And Ahab was a wicked king. And he knew his life was on the line, and he even feared being killed. But as much as he feared losing his life, he feared the Lord even more and took the action that God would have him to take. Let me go to another one. Nehemiah. Go to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah, the fifth chapter. Many of us are familiar with Nehemiah. But I want you to show, I want to show you just this particular action. Let me get to the heart of it. Go down to verse 14 of chapter 5. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artis Xerxes, for 12 years, Neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. Why? But for the for former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so. Why? Because of the fear of God. For time, let me put it in its context. We know Nehemiah, and he acted. This was a situation in which, and it helps you understand what I said about Daniel a couple of weeks ago, that basically they were commanded to eat certain foods and so forth, and the foods that they were commanded to eat was contrary to the word of God. He couldn't do it. And his life was on the line. And that's the part he addresses here in chapter 5. It's not all the other things about building and standing at the wall and that's great. But I want you to see in a small portion of it there, Nehemiah is also called out and recorded as being a man who feared God. And it happened in an area where the king commanded him to do something that was contrary to God's revealed truth again. And he wouldn't do it. That's where the line was drawn. And he wouldn't do it because he feared God. I'll give you a couple others. Noah. Why did Noah build the ark? Does anybody know? You should know. Why? God told him he should and obeyed God and fear the Lord. How do we know that? Turn with me to Hebrews 11. I'm saving you time with the story, but go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. You see, we see, we read these stories about these great men. Abraham, great man of faith. Yes. But what was it that caused that faith? He moved with fear. What about Nehemiah? Moved with fear. What about Joseph when he ran from, he moved with fear. Fear of what? God. God had commanded something. They did it. And they listened to what God had revealed. And you got Noah's in another one of those situations, right? As far as I know, he had never seen rain. No, it's going to rain. Really? What's that? Not only that, but it's going to be 40 days. 
And it's going to be so much that it's going to cover the earth. All of it. And it's not going to fall off the earth. It's just going to cover everything. Really. So build me an ark. I want you to build me the first cabin cruiser for animals. Okay? They're going on a cruise. You and your family can go as well. So build it. And I'll give you all the instructions. And I won't ask you to go down to Home Depot. But I want you to build this. And here's my instructions. And here's how to do it and everything else. Okay, so Noah just went out and did it, right? Why? Look at Hebrews 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God about the things not yet seen. In reverence, it's the same word for fear. In the fear of God, or having become in reverence. Having become fearful of what? God's revealed truth? It's what it is. He prepared the ark. Why? For the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So there's faith in action. There's the fear of the Lord. What was it that moved Noah? It was moved to prepare it because God simply said it, and even though nothing had been seen, he believed it. Have you seen heaven? No. I'll answer that for you. Have I? No. Have we seen a resurrected person? No. Does heaven exist? Yes. Judgment seat of Christ exists? Yes. Why? He says so. Is Jesus Christ the only Savior? Yes. Why? God revealed it in his word. And we believe it. That's faith. And we move accordingly. We live accordingly. You see, Noah lived his life. Abraham lived his life by that. Joseph lived his life by obeying God and having that awe from God and having God. That is worshiping the Lord every day. Job could be another example, certainly. I won't turn to that one. Let me give you, yeah, let's go to a New Testament example. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. This is what it looks like. What happened? Well, what happened in Acts chapter 8 before we get to chapter 9? Anybody? Stephen? What'd you say, Dave? Modic, right. I heard Dave, and then I, I didn't, but I didn't hear all that he said. Steve, Stephen was modic, right? He died. Then what happened? What happens to Saul? He's going to move to put everybody in jail, right? He's ready to persecute the church. Now, we do know in the Damascus Road that things are going to change for him. But he, there, there are people scattering, okay, because of what's happening. And the church is being scattered by God. And you come down to verse 31. Again, I won't read all the verses between. You, you ought to do that. But verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on, what does it say? 
in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. The people in the New Testament, it says, they were walking in the fear of God. They didn't have the New Testament epistles yet. They didn't have, but what instruction they had, what the account was that was given by Jesus to the apostles and had already been passed on to them. And you had this major conversion in chapter 2. And after the major conversion in chapter 2, you've got a lot of people saved with very little instruction. And yet they're coming together and they're involved in what was it that was moving them then? Same thing. What they had, they obeyed. What they knew of God, they stood in awe because of who he was and they obeyed. It wasn't as is sometimes the case today. Well, is that really what the word of God says? Is that what it means? We have more theological debates than obedience. You know, many of you know that I was involved in sports quite a bit of my life. And there was one thing, it didn't matter what sport it was that I, that I played, and I did play several. But there was one thing that I really admired in somebody, and it wasn't what they said. It's what they did. A lot of people used to talk about how great a basketball player they were, or how great a baseball player they were, or how great a soccer player they were. What I enjoyed playing with was the people that didn't say anything, just went out and did the job. So went out and did the job. They showed it by their actions. We're living in a day in which it's very easy to say I'm a Christian. Very easy to say I fear God. But then you look. You say if you fear God, and God is telling you to avoid that, why are you going toward it? You don't fear God. You say you fear God, and God says, do this, and yet you're not interested in it. God says, don't do this, and you put him to the test, and we all do it. When we're doing that, we're not walking in the fear of God. And notice how God blesses. Every one of them that I gave you, by God's grace, as examples, we know the end of the story because he's revealed it. And God blessed him. God blessed Job. I, I just mentioned him in passing, but twice as much. But look at Acts. They were growing. God was blessing. Why? Because they walked in the fear of God. They weren't worried about the world they were living in. They weren't worried about situations that they didn't understand. They knew and they concentrated on getting to know God so well so that just like our first one, their confidence was so great I haven't seen anybody being raised from the dead. But what I've learned of God and my experience in waiting upon God and seeing how God has performed what he said, God's telling me to do this. That God can raise the dead. I need to obey at all costs. Another New Testament example, I won't turn to it, I'll end right here tonight, but I'll give it to you, is Cornelius. It's interesting because he's unsaved. 
but it was the fear of God that God points out. In fact, Peter was a little puzzled when he's told in chapter 10 to go see Cornelius. He said, you know, I, I don't understand this. He's a Gentile, but he's a man that feared God. He didn't understand him yet fully. He didn't fully understand salvation, but he was ready so that when he got a further explanation, he was, I would put it to you this way, he was enough able by God's grace to discern that the gods that he was surrounded by were not the one true God. And the one true God was the one who had created everything, and the one true God was not made by hands, and he was waiting and honoring and even praying to that God because what he knew, he feared of that God, and he even moved as an unsaved man in the fear of God, and then came to salvation as the gospel was revealed to him. Those are just some examples. Fear of God is so key. We're going to be looking at other areas and other topics, and I spent more time on the fear of the Lord because it's where everything begins. Begins with me, begins with you. And hopefully now we got some passages in Proverbs that tells us what to do, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, but some of these examples will help us even in our walk so that we'll have full confidence in the God that we know. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that it is by your grace that man even exists. This world would not be here had it not been for your spoken revelation to bring into existence from nothing the very air we breathe, the very persons that we are, and enjoy the very things in this life that you provided. But Father, you've been even more gracious than that. You've chosen to reveal yourself in creation. You've chosen to reveal yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've chosen by your grace to reveal yourself through your word. Help us, Father, to desire to grow and to learn more of yourself and to yield to what we know is right, to yield to the truth, to yield to what you've revealed, even when sometimes we don't understand it. Even when it's difficult, it goes against the grain. It goes against what other people might desire. It might even go against the leadership of our nation. Help us, Father, to obey. Help us in those quiet areas, in those dark areas, when no one else is around, to move and live and walk by the fear of God. So that, Father, we might just see you blessing abundantly and that your work would increase in our lives individually and even right here at Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for this time tonight. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.